Hello everybody and welcome to the Awkwardly Big Dice Podcast episode number 9 with your host Dan and my co-host Rob. I am looking a bit right. misty on my camera all of a sudden. Just give it a good little wipe. <laughs> now I've got a glare. Welcome <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right. It is fine. But welcome to episode nine of the Awkward Big Awkwardly Big Dice Podcast. With the Glare Boys, because we both have Glare. <laughs> uh where this is a podcast where we talk about Dungeons and Dragons and other things related to tabletop role playing games. We have, uh, I guess, a few things to talk about today. Um, I haven't checked the news this week because there's generally nothing that really happens in the D&D world. And, uh, and we get like maybe five, ten minutes out of it if we do. Um, but we can check in on some on at least one of the topics we talked about last week. Uh, we'll, we will kick off with a little bit of that. But before we do. Before we jump in to talking about that, and me staring at the at the glare on my screen, um, we will mention that we are available on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us all on there. Twitch is where we st- live stream on uh, Thursdays at 8pm UK time, and uh, you can watch our VODs on on YouTube. Slightly edited versions. Some changes coming up with regards to both of those, but we will probably talk about it a bit next week rather than covering it this week. But yes, you can check us out. We're all awkwardly big dice on all those very social media places. Except for Twitter, we have to drop the C and it's just awkwardly big die. But that is just down to character limit uh, on, on Twitter, or X as it's called these days. Which is a horrible name, and I still refuse to call it that in my, in my casual conversation. No one's going to ever call it X. It's I would, stupid. I would, I would doubt it. Uh, but, Rob, you have just purchased a few days ago now the new Planescape book, Ventures in the Multiverse. Uh, I should have brought it upstairs, to be honest. It's downstairs on the shelf. Um, yeah, funnily enough, with you saying that there wasn't much news to cover, and mm-hmm. seeing as though that book's now been out a week or so, I had a quick look online just to see if there was any drama, um, you know, like the Hadozi drama from mm-hmm. uh, Spelljammers or something similar, but no one seems to be complaining about it online. Um, I've seen a few brutally honest reviews, but I've not looked at them in all honesty. It's probably just clickbaity. Mm-hmm. Um I had to flick, flick through it. I only bought it on Tuesday, so two days ago. Um, I've not flicked through the campaign on purpose because a friend of mine said he might DM it at some point. Mm. Um, so I don't particularly want to, to look at that. But the monster list is fantastic. I really love it. Um, it's really nice to see. It's nice to actually have something physical with actual law for sigil as well. Because sometimes we've said we've spoke about this before. When you you're looking back for information on the wiki, 
it's all a bit scattered. Mm -hmm. uh, so you then have to rely on people's videos on YouTube, and some of them are quite old. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're like, how in-date is this? And well, it's nice to just have a book with all the information G that I'll need in it. Generally, most law videos on YouTube are up to date enough because they'll all yeah. they'll they'll all be fifth edition, and the law hasn't changed for the most part in fifth edition. They're just covering stuff, bringing up stuff that they've done mm -hmm. in former editions, like Planescape or Spelljammer. Exactly. But yeah, I'm loving it. I've not looked at much of the like. I know there's a few feats in there and a few backgrounds and things like that. I've not had time to to really look at it. Um, mm -hmm. But some of the monsters are damn cool. The the elephant that we covered last week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's. I haven't looked any more. Well, I've looked a little bit. I've been doing some research in preparation for our Friday sessions. Just sort of. Uh, I guess. Uh, looking through, see if there's any monsters that I might use. There's a couple of things I'm, I'm likely to use, though. There's some. It's it depends when and where. Um, if I can squeeze certain things in, or whether there's other variants elsewhere that are better. Um, but the the book is, I mean, it's just adding more, from what I can mm. tell, more stuff. Like more monsters, more more information. Like again, as we've said many times before, you don't have to use the law that's in the book if you don't want to. It's there to help, but it's not mandatory. Yeah, the the mechanics of the game and you it all come from one book. It's like player's handbook. It's all there. I think a little bit of advice, extra help in others, like the the dungeon master's guide. Those are your, I would say, dungeon master guide and the uh, player's handbook. And the monster manual, they've always been your your core source books. Yeah. Um, but really, player's handbook is your is your bible, even for DMs. Hmm. But yeah, it's always good to have tool, more tools, more monsters, more things to use to throw at your players, surprise them, and make it make it a fun game. I. I will probably take a look through the adventure because I'm always kind of curious. I never generally read the entire thing just in case I ever do get to play or get to run it. Yeah. If I run it, then I'll if I DM it, I'll then read it all. But generally, if you're I don't. Go back and read it, but if you if you're going to be a player, there's always a chance. So hmm. usually, as as a player, I'll only read like. The first, I can't remember what they break it down to, but like chapter. Yeah. Because it gives you a good idea of the structure and how it was built. It's like, I didn't really care for the Spelljammers one. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. So I, I, but I only read the, to be fair, I don't think I read the, like, the full, I read up to a certain point and I was just like, I don't like, I don't like this. Um, it, it will have appeal to certain players, certain DMs, especially if you kind of like something that feels it felt a little railroady. At least the open, openings can often feel that way. Um, but there was just, I don't know, just couldn't put my finger on it why I didn't like it. Um, but then I'm just, maybe I'm just too used to homebrew 
and that's, <laughs> that's yeah, problem. that can be a problem uh, for sure. Uh, I think I think as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've read the first like page of the um, of the Planescape, uh, I suppose, adventure. Yeah. Um, just to have a bit of a look at, and I like the way it started. It seemed like a pretty cool way to start it. Mm. Um, um, spoiler alert: It basically starts with you all in a morgue. Okay, that's cool. Um, I won't go any further than that, but you can pretty much guess that why where that's gonna kind of lead, and mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's an I like it as a starting point. It's one I've not used before. Um, I've used quite a few different starts or had them used on me. Um, I'm typically a fan of when you start an adventure to do it either in transit already. Uh, so kind of a bit like a Skyrim start almost. Mm. You're on a cart, you're going this place, or you've you've taken a job to escort this caravan mm-hmm. from one place to another. I think that's how Fandelva starts, isn't it? Yes, uh, it's delivering a lost mind, yeah. Yeah, um, or you're on a boat, you're going somewhere. Um, I think those work quite well, uh, just because it's it stops the players having to decide what to do, mm. at least for that first thing, and they can kind of just focus on. If you're starting a campaign where people don't know each other yet, they always have that bit of a jittery start because mm. they're kind of feeling each other out a little bit. Um, Whilst also trying to get into their own characters and trying trying to get to know their own characters, because you know you've got this idea for a backstory and a character, but you've not yet improved with it. So I think they're quite good. But yeah, seems pretty good. Cool. Yeah, that that was always my kind of thing with the Spelljammer one was that it was like you start in whichever town you want. Uh, it has to be like a, I think it said it has to be like a coastal town or something like that. And it was just like, okay, yes, all right. And then the town gets hit by a load of stuff, some space, and you're trying to get out and get away. And you're like, well, there's so much room to do whatever you want in, in that. You don't have to do anything that would point you in the direction that you need to go for the adventure to work. Even if there's like a person who goes, ah, oh, come with me, I can get us out. You're gonna go. You can still say no and do your own thing. Yeah. So it becomes. A case of trying to wrangle your <laughs> wrangle your party a little bit, if that's the case. So you then end up having to go. You then do this, and you do this, and which you shouldn't be doing as a, as a dungeon master. Yeah, I think I'd probably just have to edit that to throw a couple of quick options at players and give that um, kind of illusion of choice and like let them decide what you know maybe again maybe a little bit like the you know the start of skyrim at helgen where you're picking mm. the the person to follow but ultimately it doesn't really make that much of a difference mm. uh, and use that to kind of draw them off in a direction and start some sort of adventure there but yeah making them go bang what do you want to do that's 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 tough for players to deal with if they're not experienced yeah it just man, i don't know it wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I really like the the way that I have started our current campaign. I got to t- try it out with um, like a two shot. 
So I knew yeah. I knew it could work, and it is something I've stolen from um, Ren and Lee Mulligan. And I mean, other uh, other DMs I'm sure online have done it, but it's him who I saw it do it first, and I thought that is a really good way to get things started, as long as you're able to then convene your players after. But it gives so for context the way we started our current campaign in the city of Stormir was that I did a little section of everybody's backstory essentially I did like a, a flashback for each character to start off with um, you obviously you don't have to do a literary flashback if you're doing it in your own adventure you could do it as something that's literally just taken place or the lead up to whatever meeting there is going to be of the, the confluence of players uh, but I did a little bit of flashback for each person, so they got an opportunity to roleplay improv on their own in a scene that they've essentially designed as part of their backstory. So they're familiar with it, so they can fall back on things that they've done or written. And then we flash off to someone else's, and then eventually we go, all right, we're going to start in this sort of um, basement cellar speakeasy for mercenaries. So basically starting a tavern. Basically, all, yeah. All classic. Yeah. Uh, where you guys are all sitting at the bar and they're sort of familiar with, with each other, which are just like a couple, of, let's just like a few friends hanging out. That's pretty much yeah. how we started. Kept it easy, kept it simple. And we made, but we made sure everyone had a, a backstory that would allow that as well. Yeah, yeah, we kind of session zeroed that out to make sure it would work. Um, yeah, I definitely agree that that's a really good way to start it. Um, it definitely had a knock-on effect on that two shot and turned it into a four shot, though. Um, mm. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it if you're going like a one or two shot. It's. Um, it was great to start a campaign with, like. Great fantastic. to start a campaign, yes. Worked as a for campaign. Doesn't particularly work if you're short on on time. It's something for people to learn via my mistake. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I didn't expect it to take so as long as it did. And it no, no, it, it no, did. it was good. We were trying something new. Um, I think what I liked about it was that it enabled us all to to role play that scene, whatever scene was was our scene out. Um, it was informative to the rest of the group without having to have that initial this is me, this is my backstory conversation, because mm -hmm. that always feels a bit fake. Mm -hmm. And it it really kind of helped people have a moment and just like get to know their characters a little bit, which I, I mentioned earlier. Like I'm quite good with that. Like I put a lot of thought into my characters and I, I spend a, a far too long thinking about them. Mm. Not everybody has the mind that works that way, or has the time to spare to to do that. Yeah. Um. So it gave it gave that little. It just yeah. It just broke the seal a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it did. I was careful with kind of the order in which I did it. Mm. I wanted. We had two new players and two veterans. Rob being one of the veterans. And Rob was the person I chose first, as the most experienced, and also 
probably the most comfortable with improv. And also someone who had already acted out that scene before. So we were yeah. <laughs> we were doing a scripted scene almost. Uh, it wasn't. We improv it. I think we we did better the second time. I would I would think it's probably much more of a negotiation the second time, which yeah. when you had to negotiate with um, the Green Reaper. I did got kind of what I wanted, <laughs> and they got kind of what they wanted. And, well, uh, yeah, I guess they they wanted to uh, to to escort you to the next life, but. Uh... You talk well, I guess to they him. didn't get what they wanted then, did they? <laughs> no, they definitely didn't get what I don't they wanted. Know if, uh, I don't think the, the Reapers of my world particularly have uh, wants, to be honest. More like acting by nature and instinct. Yeah. Bless them. But as that pa- the password to that uh, tavern uh, says it all, really, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, what was it? Uh... Death comes to us all. Death comes for us all, to us all. It was to us all, for us all, come to us all, you know, something like that. But yeah. <laughs> Probably uh, end of campaign, I think. <laughs> Maybe for fits. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I've already decided he needs to die at some point. At an appropriate time, an appropriate if possible. Time. Yeah, yeah. Dice, uh, dice go the right way. I just feel like it would be the natural end to his story. Hmm. Uh, so we'll actually go on to our topics. We did talk a little bit about Planescape and then completely went off a little. Yeah. Along with, not a little, but a lot. So, that was a full tangent. <laughs> that was a full tangent. That's just the way my brain works, apparently. Uh, but we will move on to cover our next topics. We have as per usual, a spell of the week and a monster of the week. I have chosen a spell. Rob has chosen a monster this week. We are going to roll, and the winner chooses who goes first, because that's, I guess, how we do it. Um, I'm going to go with yellow dice, because I haven't rolled my yellow dice. With... I actually rarely use these in the game, actually. I don't know why. I'm going to go with pink. pink. Well, pinky, purpley, swirliness. Yes. Great. I got these from Goblin. Go. Oh, you're going to win. <laughs> I mean, I probably am, yeah, because I got a 17. This is why I don't roll the yellow dice. Uh, mm. oh, wow, you got betrayed. I got betrayed. I said, I don't know why I don't use them. I didn't, I didn't curse them out or anything. They just turned against me. Which order did we go last week? We went. Uh, we went me first last week, actually, and yeah, I did yeah. the spell. Mm-hmm. I'll go first this week with the monster this time. <laughs> yeah, so, you always go first. <laughs> yeah, well, the yeah. dice just moved me. The dice gods chose, and they chose Rob. So, my monster, I suppose you could say, uh, of the week is from the new book from the uh i always want to say plane chase because that's an old magic the gathering thing but it's planescape mm-hmm. like landscape and, uh, but planes yes um from the planes planescape books uh it's a kind of a a faction of monsters 
Um, I've picked one of them in particular just because it's the highest challenge rating of the, of the three that are in the book. And they are called the Rill Manny, R-I-L-M-A-N-I. -I. I don't know if I'm saying that correct, but You're right I'm me. assuming I am. And this is the Orumak Rilmani. Now, the Orumak Rilmani. The Rilmani, I like them a lot because they're, they're kind of alien. They're technically celestials, but they don't work with that kind of angelic vibe nor do they work with the other weird celestials that are like the floating elephant things and all the other various weird designs um furries yeah. yeah they these remind me of a a kind of um a more angelic i suppose or more celestial looking version of some sort of eldritch horror like they're like uh, they're made from different parts they're slightly weird in their design they're humanoid in general but there's like holes in them uh, they remind me a little bit of some of the later designs for the eldrazi and magic the gathering which again is another wizard thing so it's not so not necessarily surprising um and um yeah, I think they're really interesting. Um, they are agents of neutrality. Yeah, neutral, neutral agents. They are the uh, the preservers. Was it say? Uh, pr yeah, preservation of cosmic status quo. Yes, they want balance in all things between order, chaos, and so forth and so on. Uh, they they hang out, they chill out in the outer plane. Um, they, the Outlands. The Outlands, close to the extremely tall mountain that Sigil sits atop of, or floats atop of, the giant donut that it is, um, the Spire. And they uh, supposedly have many agents um, and spies out in the world, or in the many worlds and planes, just ensuring that no force of chaos or order or good or evil or anything in between gains too much momentum that everything is kept in a somewhat balanced way they very very rarely interact according to the description of this i remember reading from the book i'll read this out the romani protect the balance between the forces and philosophies of the multiverse they seek to maintain planar equilibrium assuring that good, evil, law, or chaos never grow too powerful or too weak. To the Romani, each of these forces is fundamental to the multiverse's existence. Whenever one threatens to tip the balance in its favour, or a plane is on the verge of collapse, the Romani act to even the odds. While the Romani might be found anywhere, they're most frequently encountered on their home plane, the Outlands, where they work to ensure that no force overexerts itself on the concordant opposition. The Rulmani are bipedal, in other words, two legs, with bodies of living metal uh, that range in appearance from cold iron to brilliant gold. Most have smooth faces and few features, and they're extraordinary, extraordinary anatomies. I can't repeat that word. Anatomies. Uh, 
Anatomies, yeah, that was not going for me. Uh, often act in defiance of natural forces. And I really, I like it. They're, they're very kind of alien-esque. Um, mm -hmm. Now, the reason I particularly picked the Oromak Romani is not because it's the highest challenge rating or it's because it's the boss, but it's similar to what you said last week for the Melephant. Mm. I noticed it, especially with you pointing it out, once I got my hands on the book and had a good read, I really feel that its challenge rating fits it. It's challenge rating 17. Yeah. It's got 18 AC, 285 HP, but could I quite easily have more than that because it's 30 D10 plus 120 if you want to randomize it or if you want to maximize it. Uh, it just hovers, flies around at 40 foot movement. So it's it's not the easiest thing to get away from. Pretty good stats, 20 strength, 21 dex, high con. High in, high, in fact, the lowest stat at 16 is Wisdom. I mean, sorry, Charisma. Um, so all across the board, it's good. Uh, it has the standard damage resistance from um, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks, but also Psychic. So it resists Psychic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't resist Poison, which is interesting. It's very And it's not immune to it either. It has no immunities. Um, it has all languages... And I kind of assumed they would, and I'm not surprised to see this. Telepathy at 120 feet, mm -hmm. uh, true sight at 120 feet, and a passive perception of 20. So for things that are supposed to maintain balance, it sees everything. That kind of makes sense to me. Um, it's got a multi-attack. It manifests uh, a gleaming blade, and it can attack three times with it. So the Manifested Blade, it hits pretty hard, to be honest. It hits at plus 11 to hit, so it's unlikely uh, to really miss with sort of an average roll. You have to roll pretty low to be missing even your high AC characters. <clears throat> it has 10-foot reach, which is quite good because, as I said, it's it's kind of manifesting this floating blade around it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it hits you for 48 plus 5 force damage. What is it going to do? Force is a real good one. I was thinking about I just when you were talking, I was thinking because force is um, you know it can it's weird. It tells me a story, right? So force yeah, uh, we've talked about uh, damage resistances and immunities before, and when something uses force damage and it's essentially a, a melee attack, but it's force, it's tell it's almost like saying this is something that is built to kill everything, or can yeah. kill everything, because nothing really resists its attacks. Uh, well, that's what yes. I read into it. Yeah, I I agree. Um, there's not much that is resisting that. I think I've seen one thing that was immune to force, and it was like some weird set of armor um, that's in the monster manual. Um, I'd have to have a look back at it. I just remember using um, Steel Wind Strike one time and being woefully disappointed that I didn't hit anything <laughs> because everything was immune to force damage. Um, yeah, so it's hitting you for pretty pretty hard force damage. If it's um, not close enough to hit you with its uh, floating blade, uh, it's got the Gleaming Ray, which has a 120-foot range, again, plus 11 to hit, uh, and does 3d12 plus 5 force damage. And it can attack with that three times, or its blade three times, or any order you, assume, you, you choose. It just says it makes three manifested blade or Gleaming Ray attacks. So mm -hmm. you can... Hit and down one player, and then pew pew another player, or whatever you want to do. It does have some uh, some spell casting. Uh, yeah, it's got 
ones that are kind, the of, kind obvious, of things. Really. Or, yeah, you would expect. Detect magic and detect thoughts at will. Again, sorry, Will, you're always the target. Um, but it does have some other ones that, again, you'd kind of expect, but also might be slightly surprising. Um, so fly, it already has fly. It just makes itself better at flying, I guess, or it could make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's the the other, <laughs> well, yeah, the other real Marnie, uh, the little ones, mm. they don't fly. So I suppose if this one appears with the others, it could make one of the others fly. Or whatever. Um, and it's got... Uh, Gaius, I think I always say this wrong, Gaius, Gaius, uh, Slow, and Suggestion. Um, they are extremely controlling spells, those two of which are charms, one of mm. which is just a very powerful control spell in Slow. Um, so in some ways I'm not surprised, but in other ways I am slightly surprised uh, to see like control, like actual like controlling your player type spells almost. I know, like, Dominate is the one that actually controls, mm -hmm. and Suggestion is a more, like, slightly peaceful variant of it. And then Gears is a, is a good one. I've used that before, and it's basically a spell where you charm somebody and tell them not to do something. Mm -hmm. And then when they go ahead and they do it, they take a buttload of psychic damage mm -hmm. for, for doing it. And that lasts for an extremely long time. I think it's a month that it lasts. Um, I did it to... Uh, Stevens Ranger Woody. He did in the in the uh, yeah thirty days. That's a strad. Yeah, it's um and it that psychic damage will happen once per day. So if they try and repeat the action the next day, thinking I can do that now, I've had one nosebleed. That's surely all I'm going to get. No, it'll it'll do it again. It's a useful spell. Um, and then they've got some bonus actions as well. Uh, Aura of Blades. They can give themselves a ten feet. Aura of Blades, it kind of does what it says on the tin. Um, you have to beat a 19 DC dexterity saving throw if you approach them or start your turn there. I think it's start your turn. Yes, that creature starts its turn within 10 feet of them, uh, taking 3d10 force damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. The blade disappear after one minute when the Aromac has... The incapacitated condition dies or when it uses its bonus action to end it. So it's a nice little effect. And then it has Invoke Weakness, which is a recharge of five to six. It's a bonus action. Uh, you essentially, on a, a target that it sees within 120 feet of itself, has to succeed on a DC 19 wisdom saving throw or become cursed. The next uh, until the end of the Oromac's next turn. The next time the Oromac hits the cursed creature uh, with a manifested blade or gleaming ray attack, it takes an extra 68 force damage. 6d8. The average being 27, not 68. 6d8. But again, it's force damage. Um, and that kind of reminds me of smite spells um, in a lot of ways there. You activate it as a bonus action, then you shoot someone or hit someone. Yeah. And do a load of extra damage. Um, recharging on a five and a six kind of weakens it a little bit, but it's a lot of damage to be able to pump out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting because that like the aura of blades is a bit like um, spirit guardians to me. <laughs> it's like kind of a different damage type. Um, it's a force damage type. It feels very much like a, a kind of like a spirit guardians, or there's the there is a blades where you create an area full of blades, spinning blades. I can't remember what that's supposed to be. There is, yeah. Hmm? 
it's Wall of Blades or something like that. It's something of Blades. I can't remember what the first part is. Um, I don't know. But the uh, it's it's gonna be like that. Um, useful, sure, and I imagine that's probably what it's doing in the picture, maybe. Looks like it, yeah, with a few of big golden blades. Either that, or that's just it manifesting blades. Um, but yeah, cool. The creature is funny. I'm just looking at the art as well. The art looks like if you were to take the um, what are they called? The Kaminoans, uh, the cloners from uh, Star Wars. And turn them into robots. It's got, got long necks, but little heads. Then these long limb, limbs. I'm interested in who did the art for that, because it really reminds me of... Um, it's pretty cool. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, a lot of the art seems to be actually pretty good in Planescape. I quite like it. Yeah, um, Yeah, I really like it. I like the theme of this one as well. It looks... Only is it pretty, and you can see, you can see the spire, and you can see Sigil. Sigil. In the background, um, it is it's overlooking the area, but whilst also looking back, it's something about that that also is really cool. Um, it makes it look kind of massive, but even though you, if you know a little bit, you know that well, the mountains, ergo, it's isn't it's not the size of mountains. We no, can no, easily no. tell that. The, it does uh, make it look large, though, for sure. Yeah, it's a good size. Yeah. Uh, so. It is a large creature, so yeah. yeah. Um, it, interestingly, the the picture also tells me something else. Um, so before this book came out, hmm. and I was I was kind of lucky obsessed with Sigil, the City of Doors. Hmm. I don't know why. I just I really liked the name, the City of Doors. It really hmm. sparked something in my imagination. So when I started researching it, and I heard that it's in the centre of the the Outlands, um, hmm. the Outer Plain that connects all of us. For some reason, I kind of imagined that plane to always be in like uh, a state of darkness. Right. I don't know why. I just kind of imagined it being like in a darkened astral environment, almost mm. kind of with a constant cosmos surrounding it. I don't believe. I don't think there's a sun or 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 anything. I think it is like. You know, I don't think you're wrong. I think. Um, it is it is supposed to be a very different sky <laughs> than yeah. you would find here on planet Earth. Um, but then it's just obviously seeing a, diff a very different uh, rendition of that on the artwork there. You've got a sky with clouds. Hmm. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Um, but it's I, it could just... have clouds. I don't have any issue with, with clouds, I think, even in even how you're talking about it. Because it would have, yeah. if, you, if it's a... If it's a plane of its own it might have a weather system of its own nothing wrong with that i think it's what beyond the clouds that might be a... but if you if you start in internal darkness there's no reason it can't be internal darkness if you wanted to that's the laws laws yeah. flexible do what you want yeah, yeah it's whatever you whatever you make it in it at the end of the day I really, um but i really like these these things are interesting i yeah. like them a lot cause, because they're typically neutral you could do a lot with them in terms of a campaign setting. You could bring them in at um, almost last minute uh, to save the players um, if a force was being so chaotic it was going to cause an extremely destructive um, effect on not just one plane but multiple mm. planes remembering that you're in the outland and whatever happens there could also impact other planes because mm. there's doors and bridges to many many places um you could have uh 
a BBEG that wants to corrupt them, um, that fears these things because they want to unbalance the scales of good and evil or chaos and law. Um, you could find a, a one that has become so corrupt that it wants to seek um, ultimate neutrality, which is, I suppose, going a bit too far in the way of order and wanting mm. everything to be like dead, basically, kind of like the what were they called the auditors in the Terry Pratchett books that mm. just want to want to stop time so that nothing can be chaotic. Nothing um, changes, so there's no chaos. Yeah, so they can they can commence with their audit basically. <laughs> um, you know, you could you could kind of see a lot of different ways to use these. They could even save the BBEG at the last minute if the players were going to tip the scales too far in the way of good, which is an interesting concept that they might actually step in. I do I do to... like the idea of them being a enemy a of the, uh, not so much because I always think that's a bit. <laughs> I'm never a big fan. Um, no. The players should deal with their consequences. I, as a consequence, uh, old Uncle Consequence, as I keep bringing up in our own game of late, of yeah. the idea of players, especially if you're dealing with a party of murder hobos and stuff like that, of this guy just coming on, yeah, this them coming in and just like laying your players out. Maybe not killing them, but like teaching them that that lesson. Kill them, I mean, if you want. Um, maybe kill one. Just or one. put them near death. Maybe kill one of them. Uh, put them near death, at least. Make it a very difficult fight. Now, you don't Take necessarily have to stick this particular uh, real money against them. There are. This is the, the yeah. top top dog. But there are lesser ones you could you could throw at it. Absolutely. So I do I do like the look of this fella. Probably more than the others, if I'm honest. Um. But, I think they all have that charm. Mm -hmm. got, I'm sure we'll cover them at some point. But yeah, the celestial type thing, this this looks very... I mean, the art is selling me on, on the celestialness of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really cool idea of a creature that is essentially there to... Or it is, its purpose is to maintain true neutral. Neutrality. Opposed to some of the like, because that be is it very interesting with them like because the, modrons are covered again in Planescape with more modrons added. They are, yeah. There's and lots. they're a creature of like, like lawful neutral. So their whole thing is lawful above order, uh, above all else. Yeah. Um, to be two robot robots clashing with each other would be pretty epic. Um, and they like to go on their old. Uh, Parade every so often uh, throughout the uh, the the multiverse to the to the modrons, and they end up leaving some of theirs behind sometimes as they do as the parade marches, trying to uh, sometimes violently bring order to to the chaos. Uh, it's quite funny as well because like with you got the modrons who who are I think the modrons are less actively seeking. Except for their every how often it is parade, um, less actively seeking law, lawful or order outside of um, Mechanicus. Uh, but you have on on in the equal sort of to them is the uh, the the Githzerai, 
So the Githyanki being an alternate of the Githyanki, oh, who, se yeah. who separated from them um, because they thought that um, Gith was uh, a warmonger, basically. And so they went and followed Aya Zerai or whoever, or something like that. Um, Zerai or something? I can't remember. But they went and followed him, and they're much more like obsessed with like order to the point they went to the plane of there's the opposite. So they went to Limbo, which is the plane, the plane of chaotic neutral or nu on. So it's at the three o'clock on the wheel, and they go there simply to try and bring order to that chaotic plane. <laughs> A lofty goal indeed. And they managed to like they have like monasteries that they've built, and they have these like islands within the chaos that are pure realms of order and they just do it with their minds because they're all about psionics but also being monks it kind of i really like the interplay yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting one but yes the the obviously yeah it's an interesting because it also like for me as well i think with the real mind it very much we i don't know whether or not like the way I read it is almost like they they live, especially these ones. They they live in the outlands, and they yeah. seem to be maybe more concerned with the outlands than anything else. Um, the, the the snippet in the book does say that they will fan out and and yeah. go to, and they'll intercede extremely rarely, rarely. I can't speak extremely rarely, and always at the last minute. In other planes, um, but they will do so if they need to, and they kind of it. It hints that they have almost a faction of mortals working for them, like spies and things like that. So, again, it's not that's not too dissimilar from a, um, a similar kind of thing to a cult, I guess, where yeah. you know you can have you can definitely use that kind of setting quite easily, and and have agents of the of the real Marnie, um, like agents of neutrality that are just showing up NPCs to, to try and get your players to stop being murder hobos or yeah. um, to work towards taking down maybe another party of murder hobos, who knows? <laughs> yeah, more likely a uh, demon lord trying to breach yes. into the mortal plane because they're just all about chaos, aren't they? So, Very much. Great opposition to bring in if you want to bring in someone like Orcus or... Um, or the mushroom lady, Demogorgon. or the mushroom lady, yeah, or uh, Jubilex, or any of the others, or Grads, and whatnot. Yes, but yes, it's a it's an interesting entity. We shall uh, move on. Move on to my spell of the week. My spell of the week, coincidentally. It's actually available with the uh, the Oromac Real Mani, which is Detect Thoughts. Uh, detect Thoughts. I, I, I wanted to do Detect Thoughts because I have some opinions on the spell with regards to how it's used generally. Um, but I'll cover the basics as we, as we normally do. It's a second level divination spell. It is concentration. Do keep that in mind. It is. Uh, it lasts for a minute, so it's an all right length. Some may argue it's a bit annoying if you're in a conversation because a minute doesn't really last all that long in conversation. So I guess you could use it use it sparingly. 
Uh, but it does only take an action to cast. Um, and it can only be cast on yourself. It does have a material component as well. It's just a single copper piece. Whether you want to count that as a monetary value, I wouldn't. I don't. I would say you can use spellcast and focus for that. There's no reason. That's not a monetary value. It doesn't have GP next to it. So no. But yes, it's visual, semantic, and uh, material components. So it, it requires all three. Yes. And Detect Thoughts is pretty much what most people think it is, but also not what most people think it is as well at the same time. It's a multifaceted spell for it sure. It is. So when you use your action, uh, you basically can be go into the mind, view the thoughts of a cre of one creature within 30 feet of you. Uh, you doesn't work on anything that basically doesn't speak or is lower than a three intelligence. Yeah. There has to be thoughts to detect. Yes, there has to be uh, a consciousness, I suppose, to detect. Um, let's start with you only do read surface thoughts. Uh, I'll go into some of my opinions on, on that shortly. Um, <laughs> and, but as an action, you can try and probe deeper i think it's the yeah, probe deeper into into the creature's mind if you choose to do that that creature must make a wisdom saving throw obviously depending on what you are whether you're a bard sorcerer wizard or a great old one warlock your your uh, dc can vary but i know that's put i know to be fair that's probably more uh, that changes with your level less than with your class. Uh, if it fails, uh, you basically are able to see into its deeper consciousness, its emotional state, and anything that looms large in its mind. Uh, if it succeeds, then the spell actually ends. Yeah. Uh, either way, the target knows that you're, you've been in its brain, you've been in its mind, and let's see. And unless you shift your attention to another creature's thoughts, the creature can use his action to make an intelligence check, contested by your intelligence check. And if this and if it succeeds, the spell ends. So yeah, they can they can basically kind of kill the spell. Um, it goes on to describe the nature of how it's supposed to work, which I think a lot of people do they do ignore. We'll cover that in just a moment. Um, you can also detect the presence of creatures you can't see, which is a, makes it a useful outside of role play, outside of into a more dungeon divey, going through a, a map sort of thing. Um, but you can try and detect any thoughts within thirty feet of you. It, it can, uh, it can, it can penetrate barriers. Um, but two feet of rock, two inches of metal other than lead or a thin sheet of lead blocks the spell basically uh, you can't detect a creature with an intelligence of three or it just covers that again uh, but once you detect it you can uh, you can read its thoughts as I have mentioned um, my I have used this spell as a player and 
as of Friday as a as a DM as well. Rob has also, I believe, used it as well. Um, in both circumstances. Yes, I've not. I don't think I've used detect thoughts against. I say against as a player when you were in your DMing. I used it a lot on Arthur. Um, oh, you had a great. I know you had your great old one warlock. I wasn't sure if you'd done it as a dungeon master. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. loads. Um, a certain bad bad guy had the had it, and I just never told you I was using it. Yeah. So yeah, um, the big thing. Right, so this spell's great. I recommend it for your wizards, your warlocks, your bards, your sorcerers, or anyone who can take it. Take it. It works great for detecting the presence of creatures. Um, we had a the first one shot Rob ever run for us. We had a, our warlock played by my friend Chris, who was played on a great old one warlock who used it to detect to see what presence was inside a warehouse. Yes. Great use of it. And then when I played as Emmerich, I use it quite a lot during sort of interrogations. Though I was always trying to play it fairly in the idea that because I was concentrating on the spell, I couldn't necessarily concentrate on in the interrogation, so I would have other people do it for me. Yes, yeah, I remember you doing that. I just kind of didn't want to abuse it, because that's my big issue with this spell, is the abuse of it, yeah. more than anything else. Um, yes, I I did kind of... I kind of abused it a little bit on Friday, uh, as, a, as a DM. I won't say so. But I don't, I, I didn't think I went overboard, and the dude's a, a high-level wizard, so, I mean, probably well-practiced with it. He was also, the character you used it with, I suppose for context for any listeners or viewers, was also, he was an elf, so he was quite old, so mm-hmm. he can add social experience, yes. he was a practiced detective, he was he was a detective by his trade, and mm-hmm. he had been one, I think you said, out of game for probably a, a long, long time. Um, maybe longer than my character has been alive mm-hmm. in one way or another. And, and it's kind of what you sometimes come to expect with elves anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you did abuse it because I think that your character, uh, clearly, as you mentioned, had the observant feet and mm-hmm. keen, no, maybe keen mind, but probably observant too. He had observant. Um, I, don't, I didn't give him keen mind. He's not really anything anyway. They, they were clearly, um, maxed out intelligence mm-hmm. um i don't know what their charisma looked like but it definitely wouldn't have been a negative um for them to have been able to i think strength interact might with have us. been their only negative yeah um and even then like it's I don't, yeah i just think that the way that they used it worked for what that character was you know they were um they were subtle. They were trying to get information out of people. So they they clearly had known that spell a long time and knew its ins and outs and knew its limits. And I think mm-hmm. that's important as a DM when mm-hmm. you're using something like this is as the DM know its limits, but as the NPC, does the mm-hmm. NPC know its limits? Mm-hmm. Um, people forget that sort of stuff because mm-hmm. players, you're just in the mind of your own character. So yeah. like... We do self-insert a lot, but some we've talked about like metering a little bit before, like how like mm. sometimes we we fail on purpose because we want to add that to our knowledge repertoire and yes. go, oh yeah, those are immune to fire and, and that yes. sort of stuff. And, um, how long have you had detect thoughts as a spell? 
how many times have mm. you used it in, the, in your backstory yeah, yeah. in the past? Like, I think because of all that, if you actually, you know, think of all that, I don't think you abuse the spell at all. I think you... I wouldn't say necessarily... No, I think maybe abuse was the wrong word for me to use. Um, I used it a little Overused, bit... Overused, maybe? Hmm? Overused, maybe? Is that what you were maybe going for? Uh, yeah, probably. It was... Used it for more than a minute? <laughs> oh, I definitely did that, yes. Um, but it was... Yeah, I think the minute thing is just something you forget. Honestly, I forgot. I used to forget as Emmerich, I forgot on Friday. It's because a minute is really hard to do when you're not in combat. To keep track of that. Because roleplay is both real-time, but also not. The same thing. How many... So, like, if... To really put context on this, a minute, hmm. think of a game show. Think yeah. of how many questions you can ask somebody in a minute yeah. and how many replies they can actually give. Well, um, a minute's a lot longer than people think a minute is. I don't think it is. I think it's the other way around. I think it's hmm. insanely short amount of time. If someone was to ask you to stand in front of a crowd and talk for a minute... Oh, yeah, that would feel like an eternity. If it would, You would realise how long a minute is. Um, so I... Yeah, I guess it's it's all about per- perspective, depending on the situation. Regardless, that's not really what I w- was to- wanted to talk about. <laughs> all right, okay. It was, Sorry, carry on. Um, so we'll start with surface thoughts, right? What is oh, a, yeah. it's what people consider a surface thought. Now, a lot of my issues with this spell come from may come from a particular very popular uh, actual play D and D show. <laughs> Uh, I knew this was coming because I remember you complaining about this. I know exactly what you're going to say because I remember you complaining at the time. It was right. It's the DM's fault, but it's also the player's fault. But if they're both doing yep. it, I guess it's an agreement that that can be done. It still yeah. kind of feels wrong for a level two spell to be to to do what it was being used for. So surface thoughts are really like you think about the what is like when you speak in your own head. That is surface thought. There's no deeper thought to it. That is that is like bare. And if someone's talking, especially with the way my brain works, what they're saying is their surface thoughts. There yes. isn't much more to it than that. You're not getting. Or if emotions. I say something to you, if I say pink dinosaur, you think of a pink dinosaur. Yeah. Um, I would even say that might even be a deeper thing than than a surface thought. I, I would so. have it as a surface thought, personally. I mean, yeah, but if you, I think surface thought is anything that it takes a conscious effort to to think about. Yeah. That is what I consider a surface thought. It's a conscious effort to think about something. Where, uh, whereas I've seen it where it's just, it's like give them everything despite the fact never having made the wisdom save. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, surface thoughts are anything you would see in your mind's eye. Yeah, I think to some Unless different. you really want to think of like, because like going deeper, rem- kind of, because you have to pass a save to go deeper. Mm means that you're maybe probing into areas that... Of the unconscious. Yeah, beyond conscious that people don't realise they're thinking about. Um, so, like, that's not necessarily on, on the mind's eye. No. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I think of it. Well, because it does even say, it talks about, like, you gain insight into its reasoning, which, yeah. which I mean, the following bits are kind of would 
give you that anyway, but it's emotional state and what looms large in its mind. So something that it, so for example, it says something, uh, it worries over, loves or hates. So you're understanding emotions, emotional connection, looking at, um, yeah, I just, it shouldn't be used to view someone's memories because that is not an emotion. It does not do that. What if you want to have an idea of someone's memories, that is what the, the, the latest section of the spell talks about, which is questions verbally detect, direct at the target creature naturally shape the course of its thoughts. So this spell is particularly effective as a part of interrogation, of an interrogation, yep. which is what I used it for, which is why I was asking the questions I wanted to ask, because it helps form what the images in the mind that you're looking for. That doesn't, that shouldn't just organically happen just because like, right, I want to go into this person's mind to see if they remember this. I've not mentioned this, but I'm going to see if they remember it. You're not looking at it as if it's a catalogue of memories or a library of memories. Yeah. You're not mining for dreams. No. It's, yeah, I, so like, I wanted the ability to do that as Arthur. Because he was a great old old warlock, he was obsessed with secrets, forbidden knowledge, hidden things. Or it was when I first started playing him, he had a, a definite growth path that I feel he quite successfully went, especially now that that campaign uh, is over. Mm -hmm. um, so when, for the first year or so of me playing him, I really wanted the ability to almost extract information from people. But I knew it didn't work with that spell. I never used that spell to do it. I was just like, DM, give me ways to do this. So eventually we came, funnily enough, we mentioned the spell today, Gaius. Um, I I got um, a magic item, which was a book called the Vortex Personality. It was homebrew. It was a fantastic idea by by Ross, my, my DM and my Monday group that was the DM for that campaign. Um, I had to write down a story in this book as the character, not myself, I yeah. didn't physically write anything. I just said what I wrote. Um, they had to then pass the save for the spell um, by reading what I wrote. So I had to convince them to read the information that I wrote. Uh, and that would then hit them with the guess. So if I wanted them to give me information, that's that's a way to like, you, you're kind of charming someone or suggesting yeah. charming yeah. someone into giving you the information. So that was my extraction technique. Mm -hmm. Detect thoughts doesn't really or shouldn't really give you it. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there are spells, higher level spells, that will give you more. Oh, do is there not a dream spell that allows you to? A uh, dream works more the other way. You other way. go and talk to somebody in their dream. I've used yeah. it many times. So if you go, if you're going into their dream, though, aren't you? Yeah, but you're you're molding it yourself. Oh, you mold the dream. Yeah, you okay. you create the. I actually played it a little bit like uh, <laughs> uh, the um, interrogation room in Altered Carbon. Okay. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I created a little. I created my, but it was Arthur's, um, uh, like almost the front portion where his mm. desk would be of his lecture theatre because he was a, a university professor in his backstory. So it was like this kind of blackboard behind him, big, big oak 
mm. or maybe mahogany desk, loads of stuff, and he was there, kind of sat at the desk, and uh, that was his sane one that he did. I mean, I did also make one of the players dream quite often that I was peeling the skin off his leg with a potato peeler. That's different. <laughs> That's actually all the common, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Making him die over and over again. I mean, he never died. He was just, he just, and then sometimes he was peeling the skin off his own leg. And mm. yeah, dreams are fun spell. Use it to, to to troll your other players when you're a player. It's great. Uh, but back to the tech thoughts. Um, <laughs> yes, I I moaned about people being a bit too. It's a second level. It's kind of like where where people more. I think people more do this with cantrips. They try and get away with a lot for a cantrip. Yes, it's a minor illusion, right? A minor illusion. Yeah. Um, it's prestidigitation, not freaking major image, right? Like, so people do a lot more with that, but then you start seeing levels, especially early on, you think, oh, second level spell, this is great. But you're still only a baby. You're only a baby wizard. It's kind of a problem that sometimes you get where you have that player's player mentality of trying to get away with murder almost, like mm. getting away with as much as they can. And then a DM that is a bit of a yes man or a yes woman. Um, you, you do we'll want, always you do want to let your players do things that they want to do. I think there there is a challenge though in getting um, them to feel like they've well, earned it. Yes, yeah, for sure. You need a good good middle ground because the the payoff is greater if you've earned mm. it. Oh yes, as well. yes. I, I think. Absolutely. I think an interesting thing to, to come up with as well with Detect Thoughts, hmm. you'd have to approach it in the right way because it, you wouldn't want it to come across as the DM says no, hmm. um, which is the bad version of the opposite to what we were just talking hmm. about. But there is actually there is actually uh, a real-world condition called aphantasia. Yes. My girlfriend has it. She has no mind's eye. <laughs> she can't imagine things. It's just black in there. <laughs> Uh, it's just the darkness of space. Um, sometimes she can change the colour, but if I say that the classic test is think of a red apple, uh, and can you think of a completely photo real one? Can you interact with it, spin it around, do it's other things? Until it? I start focusing on it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you know, get a potato peeler out, start peeling the apple, then peel someone's. I mean, yeah, that's dream spell. Sorry. Um, I've got one of the things that you push down in the middle and, it's, and, it, and it breaks. Yeah. So. <laughs> The kind of extra imagination that we're broaching on there is hyperaphantasia, where mm. you can be really imaginative and you can retain photorealistic and just create what you need. That's different. So, like, you've got a complete spectrum of mm. people's ability to imagine. Mm -hmm. If you did detect thoughts on somebody that had aphantasia and couldn't imagine things, yeah, you can still remember things, but you're remembering things almost as though they are like white text on a black background that's how it's been described to me by multiple people with with aphantasia it's weirdly one of my players in my monday group has it as well um and it's it's an interesting thing to have to deal with as a dm because you have to be very specific in your description descriptions of an environment because they're trying to construct this environment as you're describing it using words and facts um, but if you're doing detect thoughts on an NPC that also might suffer it, that would be quite an interesting challenge for your players. Yeah. I mean, it's also something players... Should, I mean, I never, until you brought it up now, really considered it as a thing, but it's something you should probably consider with your characters, because it makes it an interesting aspect. Somebody who, for example, Timothy, or played by Steph, right? 
highly yeah. artistic character. Not autistic, artistic character. Um, <laughs> potato tomato. Um, but um, would have very visual, uh, vivid imagination, ergo probably yeah. those surface thoughts a little more vivid. And I give it because it was it was Steph I was dealing with on Friday when I was doing doing detect thought. She gave me a lot of information. I think she did yeah. pretty. I think she did a great job with it. If I'm honest. Yeah, I think it was pretty honest. In, in a bit um, of the way it worked. And then when I was diving in, I was getting the emotions, I was getting these images, these things that were flashing up as well. It was a combination of everything. Quite liked it. Um, but then on the other end, you've got people who are just like completely lack of any imagination as a as a character, not as a person, as a character. Yeah. Um, I think that's less common when you're designing a character. But I think if we've had any, I would argue. Maybe Morthos, right? Luke's Luke's monk. Yeah, because he was very matter of fact, very task oriented, and didn't really mm. go that like. He was he hyper focused on mm. on whatever task he thought was important at the time. Mm. I don't think he really sat there and thought about things too much. No. Um, Quite weird for a monk. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the whole thing, but he was. He just bad. already had in. He already had in a piece. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. His inner peace was the darkness of his mind. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think I think it would be if I was actually to, to kind of I suppose to get all of our players to think about which characters had the mm. most vivid imagination. Um I could probably guess that maybe Beringer didn't have too much of an overly vivid imagination until he was spurred into action, like with the bacon episode. <laughs> bacon. Um <laughs> that was a funny one. Um, I think I'm trying to think of any of my characters that wouldn't have had an overly vivid imagination, but I think like I probably don't really play my characters that way. Don't know. I'm trying depends, to think of who else might like, have one. Uh, all right, so I go if we look at my characters. Like, so Lod is a big kid. If I'm honest, yes. has an active imagination. Like. Yeah. He's a big kid. Um, he's an, he's not particularly bright, but that bright doesn't necessarily equal intelligence. Uh, imagination, sorry. Um, Emmerich, I would think, is a detective. Has to be able to put things together. I think. Yeah. I think he'd have. To do that. Yeah, I think he'd have a decent imagination as well. I, um, who else have I played? Uh, <laughs> I played the vampire uh... guy. Probably not. I don't know. He's he was pretty much supposed Tor. to be edgy. Hmm? Tor. Tor. Ah, uh, Tor middling. Tor, if it's a spectrum, he's in the middle because yeah. uh, he believes in a god that he has never met. Actually, I tell you, which of my characters wouldn't have had a very active imagination? Um, Alexander Ashbourne, the vampire monk, mm. and then eventually the vampire barbarian that I played in a different one. Um, yeah, he didn't think about a whole lot, um, unless it involved hunting <laughs> the, the things that he liked to hunt. Um, unless it was, yes, hunting, drinking blood, vampire yeah. things. Um, so yeah, I think in a, almost in a similar way to what we described of Morthos, like he mm. had his he had his drive, and he didn't really stray too far from that in his thoughts. Um, 
but that said, uh, I think you know if you were to say to, if you were to do like the aphantasia test on him, he would pass it. He wouldn't be overly creative, but he would be like maybe everything he would think of would be red. <laughs> but um, he'd be in red red scale. <laughs> but other than that, I think he'd be fine to be able to think of things. Like so everything just, is darkness. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to do my uh, my bad impression on stream. <laughs> <laughs> That's more of Beast Batman. Uh, but I was uh, easily distracted then. We both did it. We've yes. really gone off topic th- uh, this episode. But it's fine. It's all good. Oh. I think it's a better way to look at uh, look at spells rather than going through the nitty gritty um, of the of the stat block, whatever you want to call it. Probably a better way just to look at it in 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 that in that way. We have some time left, a little bit of time. Um, for before we finish, uh, I was tempted to throw in our uh, there are another improv exercise thing, but I don't really think we have time for it. No, we'll dedicate a bit more time to that next, next we week. We we can do it another time. It's always good to keep that in the back pocket. Pull back on. Uh, this is kind of a topic. I didn't tell you before because I can't. I only really thought of it as we've been chatting now. And I'll, I will, and it, we'll, we could take goes kind of doing it, but we had it. I think we talked about it in, in the original list of topics that we came up with. The idea of like funny stories from previous sessions, or especially ones that taught us something. Um, because I have one, and I always okay. like to tell it because I like to tell it because it's also. Because one that Rob wasn't involved in, so it was pre-Rob. Oh, okay. So, we were playing in the world, uh, my homebrew world of Nuri. This is the first ta- campaign we played in in Nuri. Um, our former player, hopefully coming back one day, Stephen, and his daughter, my sister-in-law, Susie, as well, was present. Um, and they were in a town called Crossroads. Which is in the middle of a desert. It is at a crossroads in the desert. It is an oasis uh, of sorts. It is a town that is run by criminals who control the supply of water. Um, this criminal organization known as the Council of Crossroads. The players had visited a den for thieves, essentially. I can't remember what the name of the guild was, the Thieves Guild, essentially. But it was run by a uh, a blind sort of master thief. And they had gone to, to visit him. He had, as a, almost as a test, and as a curiosity, pickpocketed uh, Susie's character, who was called V. No relation to Cyberpunk. <laughs> um, V.I. Um, had been, and she had no idea. He's a master thief. He's very good at what he does. It was, um, I, can't, I, I remember just thinking there would be pickpocketed. I'm going to use his stats, even if technically it wasn't him who did it. But it was they got pickpocketed while they were in there. The party then split up. I believe my brother Luke was still playing at the same time as well. He had gone with another player to scout out a location whilst 
Susie and uh, Stephen had gone to a place called Rikishi's. Now, Rikishi's is a series of very large tents, essentially almost like a tent city in itself, but they're all connected. Almost sounds like almost like a maze inside these tents. But Rikishi's is a place you can go to get whatever your desires are. Um, it's a bar. It's got uh, the bar. It's a brothel. It's a it's a place where the most twisted people in the world probably go because they can get away with doing some very dark and disturbing things. But it's uh, yes, it's a place that will fulfill all your desires. Run by a criminal organization, formerly headed by a man called Rakesh, whose head was taken. So no longer is in charge, and instead he was led by this quiet, overweight, large gentleman um, who they were going to try and speak to. But they thought, oh, they had not, this is a lesson, is to take notes or listen when your DM is talking, not realise what the place really was that they were going to, despite having been told about it, and thought, yeah. ah, we should get food before we go, because we've been in the desert, <laughs> we've, we've, got, we've got some water, but we, have, we, need, we should eat. Oh, I'm sure they'll have food there. It sounds like an inn or a tavern or something. And I was like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, more like a, a den for slavery and uh, dark Botry. desires. Yeah, slavery and debauchery. Anyway, so they go there and there's like a bar and they're like, oh, can we order food here? And, you know, they were like, I guess... We, we we do food if you want it, I guess. So they went and sat down at this little table to order food when uh, a slave was to attend them as their sort of waiter and they ordered some food. Uh, I don't remember what they ordered a long time ago, years ago. So I don't remember what they, what they ordered. What they ordered, they... Um, got their food, they were going to pay when uh, they suddenly realised they had no coin to pay with. Now, to me, the obvious thing was perhaps that den of thieves we were just in, full of pickpockets and robbers, <laughs> might have taken my money. Or, uh, or, But no, their automatic thought was the goblin we just spoke to, who was our waiter, must be the one who stole from us, because it was the last character we met. So they proceed That's to play logic as that. That is, they they proceed to get on their feet, and uh, Stephen, who was playing a barbarian, went over and basically beheaded the goblin. Just bent him to the ground with a and took his head with a hand axe. Poor little fella was a slave already to be beheaded by. Now this got this got him into a whole world of trouble because then they obviously owed. The slaver, a slave, or all the all the all the monetary cost of such, which they never paid back. They skipped town before they had they, they needed to. <laughs> Don't blame them, to be honest. <laughs> but man, like that was, they jumped to some big conclusions there. That was just like must be who who could who could have stolen us from us has to be the goblin. A little yeah. bit of uh, in D and D racism, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, to think that that was the goblin, and I 
the lesson I learnt was maybe uh, be willing to put reins on your players when they're jumping to some wild conclusions and uh, perhaps prompt them earlier about missing items from their inventory. Well, I'd, I'd, see, I don't know. I kind of, I'm kind of on your side on that one. Like, if they don't know that it's gone missing, and they've not needed money, I, I did this myself the other week. Mm. I, I was walking up to work on the morning, stopped at McDonald's to get a Mackey's breakfast, um, went up to the boot, the thing, the mm. big tablet that you order on, pushed the buttons, ordered my bacon, uh, sausage double egg McMuffin meal blah 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 go to pay now i'm going to work so i've got all my stuff in my bag i don't always have a bag with me but when i do i keep my wallet in my bag Mm. so i get my bag off my shoulder go to get the the wallet out of the the, like the inner pocket that's inside the main uh, area Uh, it's empty and i'm like oh shit left my wallet at home it was in my coat pocket but i couldn't feel it (laughs) like i had a it's one of those coats that i will i will wear a hoodie underneath um, it's the coat that only comes out when it hits this time of year. Yeah. Um, it was the first rainy day that I was walking to to work from the train station. Mm. Um, so I had the the hoodie and coat combination on because I don't have a raincoat. Um, so yeah, there was there was good reason that I'd not realised my wallet was wasn't in its usual place. Uh, yes. It was in the pocket, and you would you would you could argue that I should have felt that it was there, but I was oblivious. No, so. no, no. Okay. I've done that, done that many times. Um, that's that's my poor passive uh, perception for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think less about like telling. I think it's more like you don't go. Oh, you've been pickpocketed. What I mean is like, all right, you want to go there? Are you sure you've got the coin to do it? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, we've got this much. And they go, oh, yeah, you? have you? And then they go, wait. And then they can do the pat down. You know, like, um, or think... yeah, well, we we know like. Stephen, his his mind works in a different way. So he's not surprised would... that he jumps to that conclusion. But well, yeah, yeah, no. It's the point of escalation that I would have focused on as a DM. Mm. Um, so I'd have probably have said, "All right, before you attack, you've gone from sitting at a table, finding out your money's gone, to looking at this goblin and going and sinking an axe in his neck. Are you sure you don't want to put some more stepping stones on that journey?" Mm. I'd have probably have like attempted that if if they ultimately want to do what they want to do. Then. Yeah, I don't even remember if I said, "Are you sure?" or "Are you, are you sure you want to do that?" or something like that. Because I still think Stephen he would have gone yes anyway. There wasn't. I think the I would have been stopping. I remember everyone else kind of being like, like shocked, like um, everyone who was who was playing at the time was being taken aback by what's happened, the brutality of what just happened. Um, Makes you question not whether they're the, they're the good guys. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> it was so funny. It was funny. I'd have. I mean, it's not that dissimilar from um, the the Strad incident, the instant escalation, mm, the impulsiveness. Yes, yeah. It's the impulse I think that Stephen had um, yeah. was to be like, okay, I have to commit to violence right now. Um, which has, uh, has your new favourite phrase, you meet your uncle consequences. I do. Uncle consequences. Yeah. Oh, 
life is cause and effect. There's always consequences. <laughs> um, but yes, that's that's one of my uh, favourite stories to talk about. Um, we have, I think it's actually a good time to talk, uh, to end it, sorry. We have just talked. To end yeah, it, yeah. if you're okay with that, Rob. Fine by me. Okay, cool. Well, uh, that has been another episode of the Oakley Big Dice podcast, episode number nine, with your hosts, Dan and Rob. You can find this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, it'd be very, 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 very nice of you. Just appreciatious. Most of, we'd be most appreciative if you were to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on all our various social medias. Always Oxley Big Dice. Give us a like on the podcast. Check out our shorts and our reels. Give them a like as well. Basically, post clips from the podcast of moments that were usually. Funny or insightful. But yes, that is that is all from us. We will see you next week. Um, live on Twitch. 8pm UK time. Go over there, follow us if you wish as well. And, well, that's, and that's it. I don't have anything else to add. So uh, I hope all your D20s roll natural 20s. And not natural except ones, for you, Joe. except for Joe. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming, guys. Hope you had fun. Mm-hmm.